Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. We're going to be looking, and we'll start, it's going to say 9-12, but we'll start in verse 1, just because I want to give a little bit of context. And in Luke 9, verse 1, you see this. When Jesus had called the twelve, those are the disciples, the apprentices, the Talmudim, together he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So, so Jesus, as like the embodiment of heaven here on earth, the love of God, the teachings of heaven, all about the kingdom of God, entrusts and empowers these 12 high school aged boys with the authority, the shmiha, with the power to heal, to drive out, and to proclaim the kingdom of God. Just like imagine Jesus is like, hey, go. You 12 got it. Go. And he, he's like not even, not even close to Jerusalem and tor- close to the cross. He's just already just not just trying to teach them, but to help them embody this. See, it's not really much how to read the Bible. It's actually how to live the Bible. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples, how to actually live out what I'm teaching you. If you skip down to verse 7, now, Herod the Tetrarch, and he's like the the most powerful person in that day, not named Caesar. He kind of was a middleman between Rome and the Hebrew nation. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, because these 12 are like making a dent, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Remember John the Baptist, who happened to be in prison, who had died because of Herod? Others were saying, that's Elijah had appeared. I don't know how to describe what's happening through Jesus and the disciples. And still others, that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Like, I killed him. Like, like, what? What? How could it be? What? I killed him. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. So just get this. You have Jesus who is like the embodiment of the kingdom of God, the teachings, the love of God, now is, has these 12, and he's really just empowered them, released them, and now they're going out, and it's taken Herod by storm. And now Herod wants to see what this whole thing's about. It continues on, verse 10. When the apostles, that's the 12, returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So we'll stop right there. So now you have Jesus, this embodiment of God, who is now given the power and authority to these disciples, one of the most powerful people of the day, Herod the Tetrarch, is wanting to see Jesus and what this whole kingdom movement is about. Jesus actually takes the 12 and goes, all right, guys, let's go to Bethsaida. Let's chop. Let's just, like, debrief. What'd you learn? What'd you see? What'd you feel? What was right, wrong, missing, confusing? All of that. And then the whole crowd in Bethsaida. It was like Jewish TMZ just wanted to follow this rabbi, and all of a sudden crowds and crowds and crowds are, are showing up. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you will know there was no mic. There was no sound system. All you had were hillsides. 
And I've been on the hillsides where you could, at the Mount of Beatitudes, and where someone could be standing at the top and could deliver down. And because of the way the wind came off the Sea of Galilee and it would just kind of blow, it would actually take the acoustics and move it all the way down. And so Jesus is just like here, and he just finds all of these people that are showing up, and he's healing, and he's teaching the kingdom of God, and people's lives are being radically transformed because when good things happen, people, people want to see, even the Herods of the world, even the people who are desperate. And there's something really, really beautiful about this, but it continues on in this story. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. And look what Jesus replies, verse 13. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, which it says it's about 5,000 men were there. Now you have to understand that back then, they only counted men. So that you'd have the men, you might have women, you might have children. Scholars believe probably at this gathering you had somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people. If you, if you encountered the entire household, and when a rabbi would speak, it was a class, like, kind of, like, kind of culture. There's so much classism where the rich would sit on one side and the poor would sit on another side. And they were just kind of opposite of one another. And so Jesus begins to speak, and the disciples come, and they're like, hey, man, love the ministry time. Love what's happening. But it's getting late, and you, we, can't, we can't feed all these people. We don't have enough money. We don't even have enough. We don't have enough. Send them away. And I love that Jesus' response is, you give them something to eat. You just, like, you just like cast out demons from people. You just healed people. See it with faith. See what God is up to, what God's stirring. And, and all the people can see is in the pragmatic. It continues on, and it says this. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down. Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. And looking up at heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, I really love this story. But there's something that Luke leaves out that if you cross-reference to another story in the Gospels that is detailing the same account that John actually includes. And you can jump over to John chapter 6, verse 8. And, and there, again, the disciples are really wrestling with how are we going to pay for this? What are we going to do? we got to send them away. And look what it says in verse 8 of John chapter 6, the fourth gospel. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Now, I love this, this moment because what you have is, just think about this. The rich would come, they'd sit on this side. The poor would come, they'd sit on this side. The poor wouldn't have food, the rich would have food. So this little boy's got a lunch. Jesus is probably teaching, and he's probably, he's probably doing some mashup remix of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's speaking and teaching, and one scholar says, it's as if in the entire crowd of fifteen to 20,000, a junior high boy goes, 
I get the kingdom of God. What I have, I'm supposed to give. And he comes forward to Jesus. And maybe he overhears the disciples worrying. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's just so moved because he knows that the, the poverty is on this side. Maybe, maybe there's something that he's heard. Maybe, maybe there's been an invitation. But what we have is the fact that one boy gets up and brings. And maybe, maybe he's like, I eat bread and fish every day. That's all mom makes for me. Maybe, maybe he's sick of that meal. I have no idea. But you see some, some earnestness, some peace. And through that, Jesus multiplies and works a miracle. So look at this question. Because this is a question I've been wrestling with all week. What causes this boy to use what he has to bless the whole? Because honestly, every one of us in this room has just as much and if not way more than what this young boy had. I told you about this word leadership, and this is sometimes where we miss it, is that in the, the, the biblical culture, the ancient Near East, it wasn't, it wasn't the word leadership, it was this word, oikos nomos. And oikos is where we get the word house, and nomos is where we get the word ruler. And the idea of oikos and nomos, you put those two together, and it was someone who was entrusted to rule the house. And what this person would be is what we know as, as a steward. Someone who had been hired to handle the affairs, the finances, the calendar. How many of you would be like, if I could hire someone to like manage our family character, my life would be so much better. This, this, this is like someone who had been entrusted, the oikos nomos. This person would handle the, 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 the accounts, the businesses, the affairs. This is what we see in the Hebrew scriptures, what Joseph was asked to do. He was asked to be this oikos nomos, this steward for Potiphar. And one of the most profound biblical understandings of leadership isn't climbing ladders to have more power and influence. It's actually to be and embody what stewardship is all about. See, because stewardship was understood as leadership in the ancient Near East. And I was reading this book by Bill Peel. And Bill Peel actually just wrecked me because he, he changed the way I understood what stewardship is all about. Because many times when we think of stewardship, all we do is we think about money. It's not. It's not. It's how you actually frame everything is actually under a form of discipleship and understanding this biblical idea of stewardship. So what I want to do is I want to actually walk you through what Peel refers to as the principles of leadership. And when he talks about leadership, he's talking about stewardship. I heard the best definition of leadership is, is there's no such thing as leadership. It's servant leadership. But really, biblically, it's not servant leadership. It's servant stewardship. And so when you begin to understand what servant stewardship or this idea of leadership is actually all about, it begins first and foremost with the principle of ownership. Is it yours? Is your house yours? Is your money yours? Is your time yours? Is your talent yours? So this all of a sudden begins to, you have to wrestle with this from a biblical context. Whose is it really? 
And if you go to Genesis chapter 2, right from the jump of Scripture, you see that God places the man and the woman in the garden. And you know what he says? He says, rule over it. Take care of it. This is like the, the first moment where God is entrusting the care of creation, the care of the garden, the care of everything that God has created to broken and beautiful people like Adam and Eve and you and me. If you go to Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. But do you understand that for many of us, for many of us, we're like, yeah, yeah, you can have like Sunday morning, but I get the rest of the time. Like I, 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 I'll take all the gifts that you've given to me, but like really at the end of my life, it's like me and what I built. And, and you know that in Roman and Greek culture, you can, Elizabeth Elliot, or Elizabeth Gilbert writes about this. She says like in Greek and Roman culture, they believe that every person had a daemon or a fairy that was connected to them. Like right from the time you were born, a daemon or a fairy would actually hover around and every good idea was actually a gift from this daemon or fairy. And one of the greatest songwriters of all time, Tom Waits, one day was driving in LA traffic and, and he thought, I have this idea, but he's like, I have no pen or way to write it down. And so he was like, this is too good of a song. And so he blessed the idea Give it to another songwriter who's more prepared with a pen. And I was like, man, that's so interesting. But what Elizabeth Gilbert says is, what's so unique is, you know what they called the, these daemons and fairies? Geniuses. Because the genius was never in you. It was always outside of you, and it was always a gift to you. But we, in Western culture, are the only ones that refer to ourselves as geniuses. And what does that cause? Pressure. See, what's amazing is you can look in the literary and you can see someone who writes their first book and it takes off and then the pressure is for the second one. Or if you look in music and all of a sudden someone drops an amazing album and then all of the pressure is on the second album or the third album. Unless you're Taylor Swift or Beyonce, you just continue just to crush. But like you, you have this moment where all of a sudden there's this pressure. Why? Because we've turned ourselves into the geniuses. We own the idea. We made this happen. We're doing this in our own strength. And whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's in the home, whether it's in us, like if we don't have a healthy understanding and theological belief of who actually owns this, we will be broken and fractured, anxious, exhausted, and just working, working, working. Peel says this, though. He says it moves from ownership, though, is when you have a healthy, oh, it's all the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. My gift is the Lord's. My resources are the Lord's. And he's actually entrusted me with these five loaves and these two fish, whatever that is, he's entrusted it to me. So now it moves from the principle of ownership to the principle of responsibility. Because now every one of us, you are responsible with what you have been entrusted with. And look at this. Look at look what Peter says. Peter writes this in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So what Peter understands is this, that every one of us in this room as Christ followers, you have been given a profound spiritual gift 
hospitality, stewardship, mercy, teaching, evangelism. I can go down a whole list. Mercy, a, a number of gifts. You have all that. But he goes, it's not just that you've been given this. It's actually tied to your understanding of the manifold grace of God. That somehow God has like just given you the freedom to rescue and redeem you from what happened on the death, the burial, and the resurrection from Friday to Sunday. All of that is real, but it's not just he rescued you. The manifold grace of God doesn't stop there. He actually gave you those gifts. And now in your principle of responsibility, understanding stewardship, your job is to employ it, deploy it, and give it away just like a little boy gave away five loaves of bread and two fishes. See, it just, this is powerful stuff because it goes from the, the principle of ownership to the principle of responsibility and then moves to the principle of accountability. And, and, and this, is, this is fascinating because I, I, I was a part of this group of guys and women who were working out all over the, the, the country for 100 days, for 100 days. We got on Zoom and we did these workouts. It does not show right now, but I was doing it. And, and what's amazing that was happening is every day you were given the privilege to give an account. I was like, that's, that's actually really, really beautiful. You, you were given the privilege to give an account of, did you actually show up to the gym? You're given a privilege to give an account. Sometimes when we think of accountability, we think of like these like really somber meetings that happen early in the mornings where like people are like, confess your sin, confess your sin. Like it's like accountability. But there's this sense when you're actually understanding biblical stewardship, you understand who the owner is. You understand you have this level of responsibility that you have the privilege to give an account. To give an account because you recognize God has actually entrusted you with so much. I mean, just think about this for a second. You could be living in a different country. In a different time. In a different place where there's not the freedom that we have to sing out. Like, like, like we're all going to give an account that's biblical to God of how we stewarded what he gave to us. The five loaves and the two fish. Hey, you read this. You see this in Corinthians, where, where, where Paul will be writing and, and, and he'll say that, man, you it is required of stewards. It's required of disciples. It is required of us that we would be found trustworthy, worthy to be held accountable for what has been entrusted to us. But it doesn't just go from there. You have ownership to responsibility, to accountability. But this is all biblical too, to the principle of reward. And you'll see this in the parable of the talents, but you'll see this in so many moments is that when people have been faithful, they have this understanding, oh, that wasn't my idea, that was God's. Oh man, he even trusted me, I'm being responsible. And they're actually choosing to be held accountable. Somehow God just blesses that And there's some sense of reward in this life or in the life to come. But the truth is, Jesus, and you can see this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 5, 6, and 7, you'll see moments where Jesus is calling out the Pharisees because the Pharisees are wanting to be seen as more holy. And you know what he says? Oh, they already got their reward. But if you want your reward in full, you don't need to have people see you. You don't have to like, you don't have to like, curry favor but sometimes we do that don't we 
Do you ever just feel that? You just kind of go online, maybe post something on Instagram, and you're just like, I just, I just, I just, want, I just want to be reminded I matter. And you get a little dopamine hit from all of the likes and comments. Maybe sometimes you just want to go to Nordstrom and just like, I just need a little dopamine hit and just like, I just want to escape this moment and just like want to buy something. And it feels good in that moment. And Jesus would say, oh, you got your reward. But, but there's a greater reward when you can actually live empowered and trusted with a healthy understanding. So look at these words. Look at these words. I just want you to see them. Right, or from Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It's not men. It's not women. You, you be, when a healthy steward understands from a Talmudim apprentice discipleship perspective, they're like, oh, I'm... I've been entrusted with all of this. So now I'm responsible, I'm accountable, but like I'm serving because I'm not serving to gain and curry favor from people. I'm serving my Lord, my rabbi, my savior, my teacher, my everything. And in that, trusting he's the one that's going to give me a double portion. He's the one that's going to be there. He's the one that's going to reward me in this life and the life to come. Ownership, responsibility, accountability, reward. Now, as Leonard often will say, make it plain, Doc, make it plain. Let me try and bring this down to like a place where I want you to all wrestle with this. Because when I sit with these kinds of teachings, I'm not just trying to teach you biblical theology. What I really want you to know is not just how to read the Bible, but how to live the Bible. I want you to see, wow, when I look at my life, is this, is this really kind of fundamentally as Jesus would dream it up for me? Or is it just a way in which there's a little bit of Christianese thrown on culture? Because that, that can happen. I mean, let's, let's, let's ask ourselves this. If we think about stewardship, let's just bring it really, really personal. Stewardship is ownership, account, responsibility, accountability, reward in regards to your time. The truth is every one of us has 168 hours in a given week. 24 hours times 7, 168, I went to college. Now, here's the truth. You can ask yourself... You can ask yourself right now, do I have a Sabbath? Chick-fil-A does. But do I have a Sabbath? Do I have a day where I just don't do anything that tells me I matter or have any sense of importance? Do I have a day where I actually find myself living under the reality that God has got this? He's the owner. But if, we, if we're like people who are like working all of the time, burning on both sides, what we're really saying is, yeah, I know you're the owner, but not really. Because I got I to control it. Do you have a day where you just cease and delight in God's creation and the actual freedom that comes that it's not on, all on you? That's actually healthy discipleship. You want, you want to know how you become someone who's healthy? Start with Sabbath. Sabbath is a practice to actually help free you from the reality that it's all about you or all on you. And when you begin to live under the sense of biblical stewardship, it changes everything. But let's, not, let's just not talk about time. Let's, let's keep going. I'm going to start stepping on your toes. Just get closer and closer. What about, what about talent? Let's just talk about talent. Because you all got talent in this room. A lot of talent. Yeah, there's therapists in this room. There's marketplace leaders. There's people who've done their work. 
people were studying in school, talented people in this room. And, and, and let's just be really, really clear with what I said in First Peter. Every one of you has been given a spiritual gift. Are you employing that gift, deploying that gift? Like, do you use that gift? Some, sometimes I'll talk with people and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved, I loved the time in the 90s when I was like actually um, feeling the thrill of God using me when I, was, when I was using my spiritual gift. I was like, what, what happened? Did you retire? I was like, I, I didn't know you. You can retire from actually like, oh, I had a good run, you know? It's like the NBA career. I can just retire. But like, no. For some of us, we have these gifts, but are, like, are we actually trying to grow in those gifts? Develop those gifts. It's when you actually recognize, oh my goodness, God actually, the God of all creation entrusted you with certain gifts and wants you to be responsible for the development of those gifts and wants to be accountable. It's going to hold you accountable for those gifts and wants to give you a reward from those gifts. But we're like, ah, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, then we miss it. We, we don't just miss out on the formation. We miss out on God actually using us, and we miss out on the reward in this life and the life to come. Okay, let's take it even farther. Look at the next one. Stewardship is ownership, responsibility, accountability, reward in regards to your superpower. Now, here's the truth. I believe every one of you in this room has talent, talent, made in the image of God, spiritual gifts. But I also believe every one of you has a superpower. Truth be told, and sure, I can chop Marvel comics all day, but I really believe this. Here's the truth. I'm in Edmonton this week. It was cold. Don't go to Edmonton. But I'm in Edmonton, and um, I'm, I'm there, and I get a text. And um, this next, these next few moments, I'm going to be talking about some people that are in this room, multiple different people. But I'm, I'm in Edmonton, I get a couple texts, and they're like, hey, your book's sold out. I was like, oh, that's cool, whatever. That happens on Amazon from time to time. So I'm like, I'm still prepping for this message. So I'm just kind of studying in my hotel room by myself. I'm just like, just writing and, and thinking. And, and I'm like, after a moment, I'm like, that's weird. Like, my book came out like two years ago. It's not that big of a deal. Like, what? So I go on Amazon, and it says it's a bestseller. And it's number 89 in the world. And I'm like, what? Then all of a sudden, anxiety starts to rise. Because I'm like, What? did I say or do that someone is now going after me on Twitter? And like I'm, in my brain, I'm like, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble. That's just my own childhood trauma. But anyways, so then I, I go on, on Instagram. There's nothing. I go on Facebook. There's nothing. Let's go, I go on Twitter. There's nothing. I'm not that important. There's nothing. So I'm sitting here thinking, what is going on? And then I go to the place that I never go, TikTok. And I go on TikTok, and all of a sudden, this, like, random six-second video pops up. And it's a picture of my book, and it says, warning, do not read this book. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, one person in this congregation, some of you know him, and he'll hate that I say his name, so I won't say his name. But, like, he ends up just making this video. I kid you not, the thing goes viral. Over 300,000 people watch this video, and then all of a sudden, all these people buy. Now, I say this, I didn't ask him to do that. But he's got a superpower. And somehow understood what stewardship looks like and goes, I don't know ownership. I don't, I don't own my platform. 
I got a responsibility. I want to be accountable. And, and here's the thing. And he's been doing this for other people, blessing and using this gift of prayer and this platform to bless other people. Like, did you understand? Like, you have a superpower. And your superpower might be you can actually open up your house and somehow when people walk into it, they just, all of the pressure and all of the performing and all of the pretending just escapes. And they can exhale for the first time. Some, some, of, some of you are just an unbelievable with business. I, I got a, two friends here. And they, they were watching how Forest City was being led, and they kept kind of just peppering a few of us with questions, saying, hey, 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 I think we can help you. And these, these two just began to sit, and they were patient. And they began to help us create this operating system where for the last two months, we've been putting this stuff in practice, and stuff is working. It's a superpower that they have. I don't have but all of a sudden, what is it? Stewardship. They're not the owners of it. It's just MZJT, Michael Mims, just being responsible and accountable. But they get to taste and see the reward. You have a superpower. How are you using it? Let's go to the next one. What about this? Stewardship is ownership plus responsibility, accountability plus reward in regards to your treasure. God's blessed you with your finances. And some of them, my favorite people is like, are the people who are like, ah, yeah, it's just stuff, whatever. It's just, it's just the sense of, you, you don't just wake up one day and go, craziest thing, I'm really, really generous. But when you actually start to recognize from a biblical standpoint, oh, it's God's, and you actually begin to do as the Bible teaches, <laughs> you know what happens? Oh, you become generous. And not just generous with your finances, generous with your words, generous with your time, generous with your superpower. You just become generous. Like, can you imagine a church that was actually that level of generous? All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's just keep stepping on toys, to, toys, to, toes. <laughs> Stewardship is ownership in regards and responsibility and accountability and reward in regards to your redemption story. When's the last time you shared how God rescued and redeemed you? When's the last time you actually invited someone to join you? And that doesn't even have to be here at church. It could be. I would love that. But, like, maybe, maybe it's to your house and you want to ask them about their story and you want to share your story. When's the last time? Because you have this understanding, oh, my goodness, I don't own my story. And I know the, the, the courts will say, well, intellectually, property is you do own your story. No, 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 no. It's God's story at work in and through us. He's entrusted and empowered us. We have this responsibility, this accountability. But then there's a reward. You know what the greatest highlight of my life is? This is a 19-year-old, after praying for my dad for seven years, getting to baptize him. That's, that, that's, that's it. And watching God change and transform that man's life, there's no sermon. There's nothing. And I, I just sit about this and go, man, like every one of us has stories of God's renewal and restoration. The question is, are we, how are we stewarding that story? Uh, it's just me, man. I, I, don't, I don't really feel comfortable sharing my story. I don't feel comfortable uh, inviting. Okay, okay, okay. But think about this. Whose loss is it? In an internal perspective. Is it yours? Because you're already going to heaven. Okay, okay. Let's just keep stepping on toes. Let's go to the next one. 
Stewardship is ownership, responsibility, accountability, and reward in regards to your struggle and suffering. You know what the, the biggest highlight for me about the How to Read the Bible class? Is there was someone that's very, very near and dear to my heart. We've walked through. There's just words I can't say. That's what we've walked through. Day before, day before the class, this person got wind that another person was going to be there. And uh, this person, there was like some, some trauma there. And uh, I was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what do I, what do, I do with it? And so like we like go back and forth and, and this person, I mean, just her bravery was like, I think I got to go talk to them. And I was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And then I get like super stepdad in this moment. I don't know what to do. And like, just like, ah, and, and I, but I just start to pray, just start to pray. And I watch this, this other person with all of the grace. And at the end of the first class, these two are like reconciled. I guess not how to read the Bible, it's how to live the Bible. And in this moment, I was like, oh my goodness, this person, what if they just would have held on to that struggle and suffering? Didn't ask for prayer and didn't actually ask to embody the text. Who misses out? I was with another room, another room, and there was these guys, these guys, and they all of a sudden they were sharing what was really going on in their life. I mean, I'm talking like actual confession. And then, then all of a sudden, I'm like on Instagram this week and this woman, Lauren, she like posts this thing on Instagram, like reading it, reading it, reading it. And she has this moment. She's like, all the time, like when people like share something, I don't need someone to get, like, give me advice. All I need is someone to say, me too. And then all of a sudden when, when this person, back to this confession moment, this person like confesses and then I see another guy go, I'm struggling with that same thing. And these two begin to go on a journey because these two actually understand this level of addiction or this level of trauma or this level of struggle. Can you imagine if that person just held on and said, I can't confess? Who misses out? They do, and so does the other person. This is the power of vulnerability actually begins to expand and multiply, and there's this powerful reward of connection. There's, there was two women in this church. One had lost her husband, One's husband's going through a very, very difficult season. And I just start to think, man, these two need to walk together. And these two end up somehow meeting each other. And they have been walking, but, but it, it was in their vulnerability. They didn't hold their struggle and their suffering. They gave that away. What about for you? And when you recognize that God has actually entrusted you, Paul would say it's a thorn in the flesh. Jacob, who would walk with the limp, the truth is every one of us, if we've actually engaged with actual people, we walk with some level of complex trauma and some difficulty. The question is now what do we do with that? And the truth is there's people all around us who are wrestling it. But stewardship, when you have that, you go, God, I trust you with this. I might still be in the waiting. I might still be in the desert. But I know even though I can't feel it, I know it. Even though I can't see it, I know it. I know you are at work. But when I speak that out, man, who knows how that can connect. Let's go to the next one, the next one. Stewardship is ownership and responsibility, accountability and reward in regards to your service. And this is where I really feel like one of the disciples. And here's, here's like absolute real talk. I love what is happening here at Forest City Elgin. Many of you, you're coming in, you're, you're like, you're diving in. Like, I love it, I love it. But just like the disciples were like, oh my goodness, there's not enough, there's not enough like food. We gotta let the people go. Um, 
I was talking with Danielle Strickland. Danielle Strickland said that um, there are more male pastors with the name John than there are female lead pastors, teaching pastors, and campus pastors in America. I was like, wow. I was like, well, we got one. Her name's Bria, and she's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But then, then, then I started thinking about this, and, I'm, and I'm, I've, I've had a little bit of this, this, this anxiety because um, uh, both Bria, our campus pastor, teaches a ton, does a fantastic job, and Andy Davis, our worship pastor, does an amazing job. They're both with child. And they're both married to people who are on staff. Pastor Lenny Davis, Pastor Stephen Timley, they, they, they're all, they're going to be gone. And there's something biblical, I believe, called maternity leave. And I want there to be something that's good about the family. But then I'm sitting here going, I don't, I don't know how um, tech works. I don't know how to set up the computers. I, don't, I, I can do like three things, talk sports, um, move chairs, and, and sort of teach. Like I, I can't do very much. And so, so the, all of a sudden I start thinking, man, like, it's going to be a little bit of a wild run from now till it's perfect timing right there. The Lord was like, it is wrap it up. Um, but, uh, but like there's this, it's going to be, it's going to be a wild time from like now till September, October. And, and all I keep thinking about is like, we keep saying we want to be in and do this together and do it different. I know, I know. Like we, We've, we've not done it perfect. We're, we're still figuring it out. We'll always be figuring it out. But I'm, an, I'm actually, we're actually, we need you. Um, and I know some of you will say like, well, Steve, like, like I have a gift and my gift is like the arts. And like my gift is, I get it. I get it. I want your gift. I want your gift to play out. I just need that gift to be in October. And I need, I need in May for you once a week to hold a baby. Or make a cup of coffee. Or greet someone as they walk in. Or like help with set up and tear down. And some of you might be like, no, 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 I don't, I don't do that. I don't do that. And I just say, well, really, really quick, who's the, who's the owner of this place? Who's the owner of this church? Like we don't, we don't even own this building. <laughs> I think the only thing we own is this. Like we don't even, like we don't, we don't, we don't own really anything. And it's actually really, really good because it, it keeps us really, really humble. And lean, but it also keeps us going, man, we, we need you. And so um, if you understand, and, and it's a way that you can honor Bria and Andy and Leonard and Stephen and myself, if this is a place that you want to serve, you know, downstairs, as Leonard said, we, we, we got a little sweet treat um, with some donut holes, um, an opportunity for you to hear about ways that you can join us. And I'm not saying it has to be every week. It can be. Um, but I'm not saying it has to be. It could be once a month. But once a month, could you attend one, serve one? Um, man, what a gift, especially in this time. And I also say this. We're going to have some people who are hosting that are from this community. And it's going to be amazing. And you're going to get to see like people that are like you all. And they're like, get to do a moment of sharing what's happening in our church. And I, I can't wait. But I actually think this season, we are going to see God do something with each of our five loaves and two fishes um, in a way where we're going to get to be the family because we understand, oh, it's his. 
and we're responsible and we're accountable, but we're going to taste and see a reward that's two babies and a whole bunch of goodness because we're all just at work. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand for some closing prayer. Would you put your hands out for a blessing? My brothers and sisters of Forest City Church, may you know that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And that means you and your gifts and your story and your treasure and your stuff, it all. And may this week you come to live under that reality that he's entrusted you. He's empowered you to be a servant steward who is responsible and accountable, who feels the privilege to say, God, I want to give you an account of how you've entrusted me with these talents. To watch how he'll multiply and watch how he'll use to further his kingdom in this life and in the life to come. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Grace and peace. We'll see you next weekend. Take care, everyone.